we'll be reading from Romans 5, 1 to 11. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that sufferings produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has, who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Being at war is one of life's most awful experiences. I'm very thankful to God that war, uh, in the sense of bombs and tanks, uh, has not come to Australia during my lifetime. Uh, Some of my relatives were involved in wars overseas and it traumatised them for life. But war continues in many parts of the world today. Uh, And conflict, hatred, hostility are a fact of life at so many different levels. Uh, In politics, uh, racial conflicts, tribal conflicts around the world, uh, unions versus employers, domestic violence. It's all horrific. And we all know something too much about fighting with other people often with our friends and family members. And whether it's an incident that is resolved quickly or whether it turns into a drawn-out battle that rages over years, it's an awful experience. Personal warfare. It affects our past, our present and our future. Something has happened back there in the past that remains unresolved. Maybe we did the wrong thing. Maybe somebody else has hurt us. Either way, the past is an ugly memory. And in the midst of the conflict, the past gets thrown up all the time, accusing, condemning, deepening the rift. The future is uncertain. When you're at war, you're never sure if you're going to win. And what will be left if you do? Will this mean the end of a relationship? Uh, What will be the cost to me, to my family, to my nation if that happens? And of course, the present is horrible. Worry, anger, bitterness, uncertainty eat away at us like a cancer and destroy the very joy of living. The Bible tells us that underneath and more serious than any of these earthly conflicts, we humans are at war with God. We may never experience a war with bombs and guns, But every one of us has been or still is 
engaged in the most serious conflict of all. It's described in a number of different ways in Romans 5. So you see there in verse 6, you see at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. We are not like God. We do not naturally share his priorities or his agenda for life. In verse 8, we're called sinners. We're guilty of breaking God's commandments. And then we read in verse 10, For if, while we were God's enemies, the hostility in this war is two-sided. We resent God's intrusion into our lives. We are rebellious. But God, for his part, is hostile towards us. He is utterly opposed to our pride and our self-sufficiency and he is angry with us. Now, I realise that's a fairly depressing way to start this talk. It's not a nice thought that we are God's enemies, but we need to face up to this if we're going to appreciate the incredible good news that is here. My Christian friends, this is what we were it's all in the past now, and I'll show you that soon enough. But for those here today who don't yet trust Jesus, it's so good that you've tuned in today. This is how it is. It doesn't mean necessarily that people in this situation are bad people. When the Bible uses words like this, it's not saying that everything we do is thoroughly evil all of the time. As judged by one another, Many unbelievers are nice people, but they're not tuned into God's wavelength. They don't like God telling them what to do, and that's very serious. In God's words, they are his enemies. But all is not lost. In the history of our war with God, God himself has made a very surprising tactical maneuver. We read about it there in verse 6. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is extraordinary. While we were still shaking our fist in God's face, giving him the silent treatment, God loved us. It was back in 1993. Debbie and John Ford were on their honeymoon enjoying a scuba diving session in Byron Bay. Their joy suddenly turned to horror when they saw a six-metre great white shark coming towards them. It was about as big around as a combi van. And it went for Debbie the last minute, John pushed his wife out of the shark's path and he was taken in her place. He didn't stand a chance. John was killed, but his wife survived. Now that is a very impressive demonstration of love. But God's love makes even that look average. We are not a beautiful young bride giving God pleasure and respect. We were battle-hardened soldiers taking pot shots at God from the trenches. We were unlovely, offensive. And yet while we were like that, 
God sent his son to die for us. That little phrase at the end of verse 8, Christ died for us. It's an amazing summary of what has happened. We've heard all about this in the first part of Romans. We stand deserving of God's judgment. But God has sent his own son to stand in our place, to take the penalty that we deserve. God's anger at our sin is expressed and dealt with in the death of Jesus. And so now those who look to Jesus for rescue are indeed rescued from the judgment of God. Christ died for us. I could not imagine giving up one of my girls, Hannah, Naomi, Rachel, Josie, for anyone in the world. They are so precious to me. I would not willingly sacrifice one of them for any one of you. I'm sorry. <laughs> but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, enemies, his only son died for us. How deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. There is no other love in the world that can compare to this. All over the world, all over the coast, people are desperately searching. They're searching for security. They think they might find it in material possessions or in this relationship and in that relationship. They're searching for significance and they think they might find it in the perfect job or uh, respect from their peers. Whether they realize it or not, they are searching for love. The security, the significance that is found in a relationship of love. And we Christians have what our world is desperately looking for. God loves us. Nothing could be more certain. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. The Christian message is so often misunderstood in our time as being about keeping the rules, you know, being good enough for God. Or the gospel's mocked because it speaks of human sin and an angry God and so we get shy about what we believe. But at the heart of our message is this truth of our big-hearted God who has loved us beyond measure. Do you know God's love? Some of you may have known about God's love for a long time and never got around to doing anything about it. What's the right way to respond to a God like this? Isn't it first to say sorry for living as God's enemy? And then to say thank you for loving me like this? And then isn't it right to love God in return and live for him? If you can't remember a time when you did respond to God like that, then at the end I'm going to pray. I'm going to give you an opportunity to talk to God. So have a think about it, and in a few minutes we'll pray. Let me show you from this passage what this unexpected ambush means for our war with God. 
To put it simply, the war is over. Look there at verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Have you ever seen the old black and white footage from the end of the Second World War? All over the world, as the announcement came through that the war was over, the Allies had won, there were the most amazing scenes of joy. Times Square in New York, Anzac Parade in Sydney, people were laughing and dancing. There were tears of relief and kisses and hugs between complete strangers. Social distancing just went out the window. Past, present and future were suddenly transformed and people could not hold their emotions back. Do you know, that is just a little taste of what Jesus' death has achieved for us. First, our past is resolved. Verse 9. Since we have now been justified by his blood. To be justified is to be declared innocent by the judge, just if I'd never sinned. In this case, the judge of all the earth, who sees into every corner of our corrupt hearts. Though we are wicked, because Jesus has taken the penalty for our sin, we are declared innocent and right with God. Our past is acknowledged for what it is, ugly rebellion, and it is resolved in the death of Jesus. And our hostile relationship with God is changed into friendship. See verse 10. For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. In Jesus' death, God's anger is turned away from us. There's nothing left for us to fear from God. The way has been cleared for us to come back to him. Later in Romans, the Apostle Paul will say that we've been adopted by God as his sons and daughters. God is now our loving father. The bad blood between us and God has been transformed into intimate, precious, forever friendship. Our past has been resolved. Our future is assured by the death of Jesus. So verse 9 again. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Now it's assumed here that we all have an appointment with God awaiting us in the future. There will come a day for everyone when we must give an account for the way we have lived. For many of us, knowing only too well the lives we have actually lived, the thought of such a meeting fills us with dread. But the Christian need not fear. The logic of these verses runs like this. If God has done the more difficult thing, that is making enemies his friends by the death of Jesus, well, of course he's going to be able to do the easier thing of keeping his friends safe on the judgment day. If God loved me that much when I was his enemy, now that I'm his son, his daughter, how much more will he look after me? See, when we arrive at judgment day and we walk through those big double doors or whatever the setup is, 
Who will we see sitting on the throne? Not the stern and angry judge, not the enemy that we avoided all our life, but the loving Father who will welcome us home with open arms. Our future may be unclear and uncertain in many ways. Will I get married? Will I ever get a job that I enjoy? How long will I stay healthy for? Will we be swept up into another world war? But in the way that matters most, our eternal standing with God, our future is assured because of Jesus. And thirdly, our present is transformed. There's so much in this passage. Let me just highlight three things that the Apostle Paul says are true for Christians right now. In verse 2, Through our Lord Jesus Christ, we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. We now stand, we are immersed in God's grace. Before Jesus, we were facing God's just anger. But now, all around, behind, in front, as far as the eye can see, there is only God's kindness and generosity. Every moment of every day is a gift from God for our good. Now, this doesn't mean that Christians don't suffer. We do. But we know that God has his good purposes even in that. We love singing about grace, and rightly so. Uh, Here's how another one of our songs puts it. I am born again by grace and grace alone. Heaven's citizen by grace and grace alone. So I'll stand in faith. I will run the race. I will slay my sin. I will reach the end by grace and grace alone. From beginning to end, we stand in grace. Or verse 5. God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Though we once turned away and despised God, now he has come into our lives to comfort us, renew us, empower us to live a new life. We're going to hear a lot more about the Holy Spirit in the weeks to come. We are never alone as Christians. We have open access to our Abba, Father, in prayer. We are released from our bondage to sin and death and brought into the freedom of a whole new life of love and service and holiness and one day a whole new creation. And one more thing. We are now people who boast. See in verse 2. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Say what? This is really very surprising. So far in Romans, boasting has been an entirely negative thing. It's what wicked rebels do. Or in chapter 3, verse 27, boasting about any sort of human achievement before God, it's excluded because of the law of faith. It's nothing of ourselves that we have to boast about. It's God that's done it all. He's made the way. He's sent a saviour. He's brought us back. And so that's what we boast about now, what God has done. 
we now have, because of Jesus, a certain hope of seeing God's glory and sharing in it. That is such great news. This is the fierce joy of the fan who's just seen their team win the grand final and they're travelling home on the train with hundreds of other fans and they're singing the team songs and they're wearing the team colours and they're telling anyone who will listen about that incredible move that sealed the match. Joy bursts out in praise. Our boasting is not in a football match. It comes and goes. We boast in God's victory over sin and death, our hope of eternal glory. Or in verse 11, we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Once we boasted in ourselves, our cleverness, our wealth, that we could keep a few rules and we sidelined God. But now we humble ourselves and we praise God as our loving Father, our gracious, just, powerful God. He is altogether good and we want people to know that. Everyone has what a friend of mine calls a gusher. Uh, if you're in a conversation with someone and you stumble across their gusher, could be any favourite topic, gardening, grandkids, pets, uh, their face will light up and they'll start speaking with their hands and you might get stuck there for hours. What's your gusher? If you're a Christian, whatever else gets you going, it's got to be God's love for us in Christ. Our only hope in this dark world. Verse 3 is especially bizarre. Not only so, but we also boast, it's actually the same word, in our sufferings. Christian people are not exempt from suffering. We experience all the hardships that unbelievers do and then sometimes we're persecuted because we're Christians. So who in their right mind would boast in their sufferings? I'll tell you who. Someone who is utterly sure of God's love and sovereign power. Someone who understands what God is doing for our good, even in the midst of suffering. Verse 3 continues. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame. This week I read an article by a man called Shai Lin. He's an American hip-hop artist. He's also black and a Christian brother. It's very moving. Uh, he writes about his grief at the death of George Floyd and the challenges that he experiences every day as a black man in America. It really would be worth your time to read the whole article. Uh, but here's his conclusion. So brothers and sisters, in a nutshell, I'm so thankful for Jesus. I deserve to be consumed, but I'm not because of God's compassion. That's what the cross and resurrection are all about. My pain and trauma are real, but my salvation, in a sense, is even more real because my pain and trauma are temporary. My salvation is eternal this is why I choose to focus on what I do in my music. It's the glory of God 
the supremacy of Jesus Christ, the centrality of the cross and biblical theology that puts my experience as a black man in America into its proper perspective. God teaches us all kinds of things in suffering. Patience, deep trust in the one who judges justly, love for enemies. God grows our hunger for Christ's return when every tear will be wiped away and all things put right. We can boast even in our sufferings. So what would it look like for you to do a bit of godly boasting this week? What can you say to your family, to your work colleagues on social media that will help people see how awesome our God is? How can you do the unexpected and glory in your sufferings instead of complaining? The war is over. Our past is resolved. Our future is assured. Our present is filled with love and grace and boasting. And all of this has come about through our Lord Jesus Christ. Again and again, this passage says that the war has ended because of Jesus' death. That it's only through Jesus that this transformation of life is possible. Almost everyone acknowledges that conflict is a big problem in our world. Peace is something we all long for. But no amount of government money, no amount of enlightened education, no amount of angry protesting can bring about peace with God. That's the most important peace of all. Only Jesus can deal with that. Jesus has actually done that. God wants us to be at peace with him. God has made the first move. God has loved us beyond our wildest dreams so that we can be at peace with him, so that we can be sure that we are at peace with him now and for eternity. The war is over when we lay down our arms at Jesus' feet and follow him into the very throne room of God. Have you done that? Have you responded to God's love, taken refuge in Jesus' death on your behalf? There is no hope, there is no grace, there is no peace apart from faith in the Lord Jesus. In a moment, I'm going to pray. It's a prayer of response to God's love. It's a prayer of dependence on Jesus and his death for us. And no matter where you're at, if you've been standing in God's grace for 80 years, or if you're just reaching out to God in faith for the first time, this is a good prayer to pray. It's on your screen there. So please join with me if this is your prayer. Dear God in heaven, I know that I'm not worthy to be accepted by you. I am guilty of rebelling against you and ignoring you. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Thank you for sending your son Jesus to die for me. Thank you for loving me so much. Thank you for drawing near to me and giving me hope for eternity. 
Please pour your spirit into my life and change me. Please teach me to boast only in you, even in my sufferings. Amen. Well, let's continue to pray for our world, our governments, and for our nation, uh, that they too might know God's peace in Christ. Please uh, pray with me. God of the nations, whose sovereign rule brings justice and peace, have mercy on our broken and divided world. We pray especially for those places torn apart by racial conflicts. Establish your peace in the hearts of all and banish from them the spirit that makes for war, that all races and peoples may learn to live as members of one family and in obedience to your laws. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Gracious Lord, grant to our governments and all who serve in public life wisdom and skill, imagination and energy. Protect them from corruption and the temptation to serve themselves. Help us all to commit ourselves to the common good, that our land may be a secure home for all its people. Through Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace. Amen. God of the nations, we pray for Australia. Inspire and direct our leaders to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. Bring many Australians to a knowledge of the truth about Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for us all. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.